Welcome to Axios Pro Rata, a podcast that takes just 10 minutes to get you smarter on the collision of tech, business, and politics. I'm Dan Pramack. On today's show, the online privacy battle heats up in D.C. and why gig economy workers like Uber drivers and Airbnb hosts might soon get a valuable new benefit. But first, the most powerful women in business. So 2018 has been a kind of contradictory year for women in the U.S. workplace. On the one hand, the unemployment rate for them is at an 18-year low, and the Time's Up and Me Too movements have helped empower women, at least in certain industries, to stand up against sexual harassment and other sorts of illegal workplace discrimination. And there's also been a slight increase in the female decision makers at venture capital firms, which hopefully will make it at least somewhat easier for women entrepreneurs to fund and start new companies. But on the other hand, the number of female leaders at America's top companies is on the decline. So far this year, the number of women CEOs leading Fortune 500 companies fell from an already pathetic 32 to a downright depressing 24. Yeah, just 24 out of 500, which only gets to 5% if you round up and don't even try to do the math on female CEOs of color. Each year, Fortune Magazine publishes a list of what it calls the most powerful women in business, the most recent of which came out this week. And as the magazine's editors put it, progress still comes with a caveat. In 15 seconds, we'll go deeper on this with Fortune Assistant Managing Editor Lee Gallagher. But first, this. Axios Chief Technology Correspondent Ina Fried shares breaking news and analysis on the most consequential companies and players in tech, from the Valley to D.C. Subscribe to get smarter faster at signup.axios.com. And now, back to the Pro Rata Podcast. We're joined by Lee Gallagher, Fortune Assistant Managing Editor. There seems to be this broad realization in the business world that more female CEOs are needed, particularly at top companies. But that number, the, the fall of females leading Fortune 500 companies seems to contradict that. So what's the disconnect right now? Well, the disconnect is that while women have made an incredible amount of progress over the last, say, 20 years, it's still really hard. And I think there's an increasing kind of awakening about how hard it is and how far we still have to go. So as you mentioned, there are 24 women CEOs on this year's Fortune 500, and it's down seven from last year. And that's a lot. One of the things is that many of these women step down for whatever reason, just like male CEOs step down. But the problem is when someone like an Indra Noye of Pepsi steps down. It's not like there's four or five female candidates to replace her. And the search, as you know, for these executives, for these CEOs is exhaustive and extraordinarily important, complicated, and takes a long time. It's not easy. So there just aren't the candidates at that level, even though there are many women leaders at these large companies. Could be that the recruiters don't look at them. They look at the males who are former CEOs. There's a bunch of reasons, but replacing them with women just doesn't happen at that tippy-top level. And one of the things seems to be that we're talking Fortune 500, but when you think of the next Fortune 500 or the Fortune 500 of the future, there is still a relative lack of women who lead large startups or create startups that become large startups. You know, you think Uber, Airbnb, et cetera. Most of the big ones are still founded and led by men. Absolutely. One of the things I do at Fortune is run the 40 under 40. And the accomplishments of the women on the list, the size of the companies that they have founded in the case of entrepreneurs, it's just, it pales in comparison to the men on the list in terms of valuation. And you're exactly 
exactly right. So, And also, we see it in funding. I mean, women still get 5% of VC funding. That's probably going to start to change soon, but that's a really small amount. And so we feel so far away from seeing a woman found a company that grows to become the size of not just Uber, but Amazon, Facebook, $100 million companies. It just, it shouldn't be that hard. And I actually once asked Sheryl Sandberg that very question. I say, why haven't we found a woman who has founded the next Facebook? And she says, what's to say we haven't already? In other words, that company may already exist. It just, you know, hasn't gotten, it, it takes a while for it to get that big, but it might be on its way. But it still does feel very far away. All right. So let's flip to the other side of this, which is the more positive side of this. So it was interesting to look at your cover and you guys have Marilyn Houston on there, who's CEO of Lockheed Martin. And you have an entire story in there about how this is an interesting industry because the biggest companies, the most of the big companies in the defense contracting space are led by women. That's kind of where they seem to be thriving as CEOs. Yes, that is this sort of weird phenomenon that's happening right now where four of the five top defense companies are run by women. The CEO of Raytheon is called the last man standing because he's the only man among them. And so for whatever reason, there are a few reasons, but defense has 19% of defense companies in the S&P 1500 are women run compared with 5% for the S&P 1500 at large. So there's something happening there. And this strikes to one of the biggest and most important signs of progress over the past decade or two. It really is the kinds of companies that women are running. So 20 years ago, when we started doing the most powerful women list, well-known women CEOs were people like Andrea Jung of Avon, Jill Barrett from Mattel, a lot of women in advertising or media or beauty or fashion and retail. And not that there is anything wrong with that, but today you see women running much bigger companies, some of the biggest companies in the world. The defense industry is a great example. IBM, until she stepped down, (laughs) Pepsi, GM. That is a huge difference, and that's a really, really important sign of progress. Are you seeing that on the startup side as well? In other words, in terms of industry, a more diverse group of female founders in terms of what they're working on? That's a really good question. Not as quickly. When you look at the female founders in the startup landscape, I haven't studied this with data, but just anecdotally, and I have certainly scoured the landscape as we look for the 40 under 40 list, and it does seem that women are still founding companies that are in the fashion, beauty, retail space. And again, they're building really disruptive, influential companies in that space. But I'm starting to see a few more in biotech or in other fields in technology, but that has not fully kind of shifted yet. You guys made a switch at the top of your list. I mentioned Marilyn Houston of Lockheed Martin is number one, which means Mary Barra, the CEO of GM, who was on the podcast a couple weeks ago, is now number two after leading the list for the last three years. Is there a very succinct reason why the switch? Well, there's a few reasons. I mean, number one, it's not just that she fell. It's really that Marilyn Houston just excelled so much this year and really also signifying that defense trend. But GM hit some speed bumps this year. The Chevy Bolt fell behind Tesla in sales. It took a $3.9 billion loss in 2017 due to the tax bill. It had some good things happen. I mean, there was this big investment, as you know, in Cruise from SoftBank. They started a peer-to-peer ride-sharing service or deploying the first self-driving car supposedly next year. But just given what she had accomplished in the past few years, we just felt like it was time for her to, to move to number two and make room for Maryland at number one. Lee, final question for you. There's been a lot of talk about who's going to be running for president in 2020. And you often hear big CEO names or former CEO names, but they're basically, at least from what I can tell, they're all men. It's Bob Iger, it's Howard Schultz, etc. You look at your most powerful women list. Do you see people on there who you think 
are going to actually run for elective office? Or for some reason, is that the, among CEOs, the domain of men still? That's a really interesting question. I hadn't really thought about that. I mean, the obvious name that comes up from our list is Sheryl Sandberg, who you know was rumored to be a candidate last time around. She's having a tough year this year. Yeah, this might be a tough time for a Facebook exec to run for president. Yes, I think she needs to sit it out for a little bit and deal with Facebook and, and everything that company is going through, which largely is falling on her. But one of the things that is true about women CEOs and top women leaders is that they have to do everything the men do, but twice as good. And everybody uses this quote. It's like Ginger Rogers and Fred Astaire. They have to do everything backwards in high heels. And it's really true. These women, and Indra Noy has spoken out a lot about this. She's had to work twice as hard as everybody else. And I think that that's as true, if not more true, for something like running for president. So it doesn't mean we won't see a, a female business leader run for president. But And Cheryl could. I mean, Cheryl is a really likely person to do that. Lee Gallagher of Fortune Magazine, thank you so much for joining us. Great, Dan. Thanks a lot. Thank you to Lee Gallagher of Fortune Magazine. My final two on federal privacy legislation and how Airbnb wants to give equity to its hosts after this. Axios gives you the news and analysis you need to get smarter, faster on the most important topics. In our unique smart brevity format, we cover topics from politics to science and media to tech. Subscribe to get smarter, faster at signup.axios.com. And now back to the ProRata podcast. Now it's time for my final two. And first up, a big group of tech companies, including Apple, Google, Amazon, and AT&T, are all going to testify at the U.S. Senate today and all say the same thing. The United States needs federal privacy legislation. But per usual in D.C., the devil's going to be in the details. So, for example, Google is going to go up there and defend its ad-driven business model while still supporting what it calls, quote, baseline data protection regulations. For example, the so-called right to be forgotten, which exists in Europe. Apple, on the other hand, is going to emphasize how it doesn't rely on ads and how companies that do so are almost inherently putting user privacy at risk. The key for all of these companies is going to be getting a federal bill passed before states begin implementing their own legislation, like a privacy law that passed the California legislature this year and goes into effect in 2020. But don't expect any real action to happen before the midterms. And finally, Airbnb made headlines last week after sending a comment letter to federal securities regulators asking for rule changes that would make it legal for Airbnb to give stock to its hosts, who are the people who put their houses or their apartments online to be rented out. Now, to be sure, this isn't exactly a new idea. Uber had wanted to give its drivers Uber stock years ago, but couldn't figure out a way to make it legal. So what's new now, though, is a new SEC chairman, a guy named Jay Clayton, who has repeatedly expressed concern with how few people get to benefit from the high valuations of successful tech startups, and he's seeking ways to fix it. One of them indeed might be giving equity to gig economy workers who are rising in numbers, but seeing their average monthly payments fall, according to a new JP Morgan study. Like with the privacy laws, this isn't gonna happen overnight, but it does reflect how DC is finally beginning to play catch up to Silicon Valley after letting itself fall very, very far behind. And we're done. Thanks for listening. And to my producers, Adam Gracia and Tim Shovers, have a great National Pancake Day. And we'll be back tomorrow with another Pro Rata Podcast.